are listening to the Future of Asia podcast by McKinsey & Company. I am Oliver Tonby, Chairman of McKinsey Asia. In this series, we feature leaders from across the region to discuss the forces, the opportunities, and the challenges that are shaping the future of Asia. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Future of Asia podcast. And I'm your host, Joydeep Sengupta, a senior partner in the global banking practice of McKinsey. Today, we will be talking about the future of banking in Asia. In Asia, banking is going through massive discontinuities, driven by the forces of a global slowdown, accompanied by discontinuities driven by technology and a benign regulatory environment. Banks today are facing challenges of the kind that they have never seen before. And in that context, there are a number of new initiatives which many banks are taking. Some are trying to embrace and shape the future. Others are beginning to think about how they secure their position and indeed survive. At the same time, while there are these discontinuities, there are waves of new opportunities driven by demographic trends and the historic long-term potential that many markets in Asia have. There are four areas in particular, wealth management, digital consumer lending, digital SME lending, and transaction banking. Cumulatively, these provide opportunities in excess of $100 billion of revenues over the next decade for banks. But to capture these in the light of these discontinuities requires significant change, both in terms of investments in technology, new risk processes, new business models, investment in data, and a new organization model which will adapt to this changing environment. Today, I have the pleasure to talk about all of these and to hear the perspectives on how CIMB, a leading bank in Southeast Asia, is dealing with these challenges and opportunities. Tenku Dato Zafrul Aziz, the Group Chief Executive Officer of CIMB. I'm going to spend time asking him about both whether his assessment of the macro environment in Asia banking is in line with what we have portrayed. Does he have a different point of view? Is he more optimistic about the future given the new attackers in the market? And how, as CIMB, he is positioning himself for this brave new world? Tatu Tenku Zafrul, thank you very much for being with us here today. Thank you, Jody, for having me. Let me start by getting your thoughts on the future of banking. What do you see as the big trends and discontinuities in Asia over the next several years? Well, for us, for CIMB, we are already seeing new challenger banks coming to our space. If you look at Asia in particular, most of the disruptions to banks are happening in China, but it's come here to this region as well. To say we're prepared, probably uh, it's not true, but most of the banks uh, in this region have accepted the fact that our margins will be somewhat compressed by the new non-financial institution that's coming to our face. If we look at Asia itself, we look at the potential of market compression that can happen to us. Just look at the distribution part, right? Because we look at banks, 65% of the margin comes from distribution. And that's where they are, you know, eating our lunch. Right? And then you can see the potential of margin compression. Uh, this is, of course, the other challenges that we face as banks, you know, on what's happening on the macro side. I mean, today, there are challenges on the, what's happening between US and China. So they are taking out the macro challenges, 
but the industry itself are facing uh, new challenges. And if we look at in five to 10 years, uh, I don't think banks will continue to look the same today uh, in 10 years' time. Wow, that's a grim forecast. So how are banks dealing with this? How do you as CIMB, how are you dealing with, when you look at this challenging environment in the future, how are you dealing with this? So for us, the important thing is to make sure that we change, right? And where do we change? I think we need to change from the core. If you look at the core for any banks, is the people and technology, right? So these two fundamental um, aspects of banking must change. People is, of course, the most difficult one, right? Uh, culture, the DNA, any institution is the people. Uh, so that will take time. It's a journey, but it has to start. For us, for example, not just the culture, but the skill sets. We have an ambition to have 15%, one uh, five of our workforce to be digitally savvy. Uh, right? uh, we call it 3D, data disruption and digital. Um, today, we only have 5% of our working population in CIMB that are so-called digitally skilled. So we need to either reskill our team or get new people to come in uh, to join us. Right? And of course, if you look at technology, uh, it's changing very fast and it's something that we need to invest. So banks cannot postpone uh, this kind of investments to later. You need to make those investments today. And together, both people and technology, you need to be agile. There are, of course, processes and policies that we have to follow, but doesn't mean we have to follow in such a rigid way, right? Uh, you have to be more agile, more practical, uh, because at the end of the day, these two elements of people and technology is the, the core, right? Is actually the focus is on customer experience, right? So the CX part uh, is important, uh, but to get that, uh, these three elements, the, the core, and then therefore the result, the outcome is the, the right CX experience uh, is what will ensure whether we as banks uh, continue to survive. Yeah. It's very interesting when you talk about both the core as well as talent, people, as well as technology. I mean, w one thing, it's certainly not easy to make the change because as you said, it's very different from the past. So there must be a big cultural change element as it is well. How do you think about the cultural aspect of this change? Yeah, I think I mentioned just now that that will be the most difficult part yeah. for people uh, because to change the mindset of people because there will be groups in any institution that know that have to change because of what's going to happen in the future. But they know that the change will affect them. Some of them will say that if we do change, it means I'm out of a job. So then naturally they will resist it. People do resist a change. So as part of the leadership team building the firm, we need to make sure that we educate them first, right? We need to engage them, tell them the truth, right? That this is coming. Um, this is a new way of banking uh, and we need a new way of thinking and we need new skill sets. And we want you to be part of the team, right? But you also need to change, right? So of course, failing that, then we need to move on, right? What we're doing as an institution, we are spending about 75 million uh, ringgit to reskill people. But at the same time, looking at you know those that are, some are not able, right? And do the placement for them outside uh, the bank. So we, we also need to be a responsible uh, employer and help those who can't find a job elsewhere. So that's something we are doing as well, uh, proactively. And because it is going to be difficult and it is a journey. The good thing is we should have time the next two to three years to, to relook at the composition of our team, right? It's not immediate, but at the same time, it's inevitable. And the other challenge uh, when it comes to banks, uh, when relating back to talent, is the new talent, right? Um, we also, you know, now no longer competing for talent with other banks. We are competing talent with non-banks and technology companies itself, right? So that's the other uh, challenge that we have as banks today. 
so to target those talent to come and join us, there's also something that we need to rethink of how we retain and recruit. Uh, so the way of, old way of recruiting, the old way of retaining talent also have to change. Right? Uh, so our HR, our chief people officer, you know, need to look at, you know, different ways of tracking talent. And people now, you know, want to be compensated differently. Or, you know, there are some now on a contract, some want to pay a weekly, some, some want to work from home. You know, there are different ways. And so you need to be also agile and flexible, right? Just like trying to customize our products for customers, you know, rather than sell product, do any products to any customers, we are trying to customize. Similarly, we need to customize the kind of benefits and uh, package, a compensation package to our staff, right? You know, people who are just started their life, uh, started, you know, working with, with one different kind of uh, benefit than someone who's more senior. So there's no more one size that fits all uh, for, for HR as well. Now that's a very innovative take on people, right? The customizing for people beyond customizing for customers, right? Effectively, it's, it's terrific. I do want to come back to your earlier observation on margins, right? And you said that you expect over the next few years on that 65% distribution margin to come under big pressure. Yeah. Typically, in, when, when these kind of things happen, we've seen not many players can adapt and therefore inevitably it leads to consolidation of the market. Do you, how do you see that play out uh, in Asia? So it has always been the case historically that those banks or those companies, in fact, who have challenges in terms of maintaining that kind of margins that they have maintained will be uh, a potential target, right? Uh, but today, uh, with the advancement in technology, uh, consolidation is no longer a factor of getting the size, right? So let's just look at us, uh, for example, look at banks, right? So banks, historically, the reason why they do make acquisition uh, is because they want the asset size. They want the branches, uh, they want the customers, right? But today, if you look at banks, if they do want to make an acquisition, it's no longer about branches, right? Uh, because, you know, branches are becoming less relevant. And then if you look at assets, right, it's, there's a different ways to acquire uh, those assets. Uh, mainly, it's more about customer data, right? But again, I think uh, if you look at with the advancement of technology, uh, you don't longer need uh, the customer data just by acquiring banks. Banks are now looking at acquiring data through participating in other ecosystems, right? Or having partners who are non-banks. So, so the the reason for that uh, acquisition is less. But again, of course, it depends on the valuation. Uh, valuation of banks have come down, right? So you need to make a call. Uh, there will be cases where there will be uh, commercial reasons to do it, and as long as it's value enhancing, yes, we will see that uh, continuing. But the valuation has to be right because margins are going to continue to be compressed. It's very interesting. I mean, in a sense, CIMB grew over the years through a series of acquisitions. And it's very interesting to hear your point around partnerships with non-banks for data, for customers. How are you thinking about partnerships? So I think banks have to realize that they can't do things on their own. And it is okay to partner. It could be a JV. Uh, it could be even an equity partnership. Uh, for us at CIMB, we have uh, both. Uh, we've done both. Um, a partnership with fintechs, a partnership with non-banks. You know, we do partnership with e-commerce companies. You know, today on the payment side, we also partner one of the uh, big payment companies in the region. So it is something that banks need to embrace, right? You need the scale, but also you need the know-how and the expertise, right? Sometimes the best way to disrupt yourselves is to have this kind of partnership and learn on how things are done differently. Because like I said earlier, 
banks need to change. And through this partnership, I think there will be lessons that we can learn to help us change, make those uh, necessary steps to change. Right? But more importantly, if we look at what the re main reason why banks need to participate in the other ecosystems or also partnership is because of what the customer wants. Right? So at the end of the day, you know, customers today don't just look at what banking services can offer to them. They look at holistically. Right? So you want to be part of that solution to the customer. Uh, so therefore, I think it's important that you be part of that uh, ecosystem or part of uh, that supply chain uh, that the customer is looking and, and so you're saying that from your perspective, partnerships, not just for the sake of access, but also for talent to make sure that you're part of customer journeys, those become there for Correct. Correct. Exactly. Well, that's, that's, that's very interesting. I related to that and linked to your earlier comment on data. Right. I mean, you mentioned that that's uh, very important. So how, how is CIMB dealing with data? So to me, data, the benefits are three uh, for banks. Uh, one is, of course, for efficiency. To get the right data, you can make sure that you do things in a more productive manner. Right. You're more targeted. You have the right information. And the other one is risk. Right. Therefore, if you have the right data, when you do lending, the credit risk is better. Even if it's operational risk, right. Uh, because you will be mining the right data and therefore hopefully giving you the right kind of input for lending. And finally, is CX, right? Customer experience. Again, you have the right data, uh, you know what the customers uh, need, and you then can offer the right solution, a tailor-made solution uh, for the customer based on the data. Uh, so data is, is key. Data is a new oil, right? Uh, and for, not just for banks, but, you know, if you look at the non-banks and other players, uh, they're acquiring data, right? And they, they're losing money to acquire data, right? Uh, for us, we don't have the luxury. We are banks. Uh, we are the deposit-taking institutions. We can't afford to lose money. So what we need to do uh, to collect the data is to make sure that, again, the partnership, like I mentioned earlier, will help us complete uh, the data. Right? If you look at banks today, they, they have a lot of data, but I think we are not uh, mining the data well. In, uh, and that's something that we can learn from the non-banks. Asia's standing in the world has changed. And it's clear that where the focus once was on how quickly the region would rise, the reality is now all about how Asia will lead. Keep listening to the Future of Asia podcast. It's fascinating, but I do want to pivot back in this conversation, which has been quite a bit around the challenges and how you're facing it, to opportunities, right? And, you know, everybody says, look, Asia is where the opportunity is. Where do you see the big opportunity areas? Uh, in the market. So, of course, you know, uh, if we look at the opportunities, banks really need to change first, right? Let's say we do change and therefore, what do we change into, right? Uh, so, for banks, the first thing we need to do is to manage our cost better. Cost to income ratio of banks today range between 40 to 50. Right? Uh, I think we need to go lower, 45 to 55. Now, today, you know, on average, we need to look at cost income below 40, right? Because our competitors' cost income will be around 25, 35, right? So, that's something we need to do, right? Uh, so we, let's say we can achieve all that, right? Cost of income, change in culture, investment in technologies there, relevant technologies, participate with the right partners, you know, even build your own ecosystem or participate in people's ecosystem. So what is banks, right? Because at the end of the day, you've, you've heard this many times before, you know, people don't need banks, but people need banking. So at the end of the day, I think what's key, the opportunity is that we have, again, back to the earlier statement I made on data, right? So the data is there. What the ownership of data, ownership of customers uh, is something that banks will continue to have. Right? The opportunity is trust. Right? So banks, with the data that we have and the trust, uh, if you look at surveys that have been done, you know, people still trust banks more than 
uh, no lines, right? Uh, uh, you know, Facebook with their issues and, you know, Google, they everybody have their own issues, right? Uh, on, on the, the platform players, especially. So they will have their challenges in terms of trust, right? Um, so we, we need to capitalize on that. First, we need to fix all the issues that we think we are behind, right? And then the opportunities will be, if we can do that, then we can be, you know, with the data that we have uh, and with the trust uh, that we still have with the customers, we should be able to compete with the uh, non-bank and also the other banks. And assuming as you do all of this, if you look at take a market view, uh, given the demographics, many of the markets where you're present, Indonesia, for example, customers are getting wealthier, yeah. right? There is younger population coming into play. There is a whole segment of SMEs which are underserved. Do you see those as areas where you will focus in a very different way? So how do you see that versus your traditional areas of focus? Do you, do you see that shift happening? Yeah, we're already seeing it today. Um, people are more comfortable using mobile for banking. And of course, the demographics help. Uh, but having said that, even the older generation are also adapting to yeah. technology very yeah. fast, yeah. right? And not just the millennials that are, are comfortable with uh, banking uh, through technology, especially through the mobile. Uh, we, we have started this initiative in two countries, in Philippines and Vietnam, where we launched our complete mobile banking services uh, in those markets. And we're seeing the results. It is something that I think we'll see uh, moving faster than people think. Because if you look at adoption of technology by customers when they come banking, it's, it's very, very fast, right? Uh, even in more developed markets, it's more than 60% of the banking are through mobile already, yeah. right? And of course, China is separate in Asia, but in this region, in Southeast Asia, for example, the population of 600 million people, we are seeing penetration rate going up very high because of mobile banking. And it's become more inclusive. Therefore, banks must invest uh, in technology to cater towards the needs of the customers. Uh, mobile banking will be uh, something that we as banks need to uh, embrace quickly. Basically, whatever a branch can do, whatever a bank can do through branches or through online services must be offered on mobile, right? And of course, there's regulators as well, you know, KYC, all that will be important. That's something that uh, some countries have already approved, right? And then, of course, availability of cloud or for our services. You know, it has to be a, a level playing field for banks because uh, non-banks are able to do that. The second part is the SME, right? Uh, so again, SME also are getting more comfortable with doing banking with technology, right? And in fact, technology has enabled them to get more services, right? Because last time, you know, you need, you need a human touch uh, and, and therefore we, there's so much we can support uh, to SME and the cost is coming higher uh, to, to have that human touch, right? And so with technology, you can serve more customers at the same time, uh, you can serve them better, right? And I think we, we are seeing that uh, today and banks are, starting to embrace that. And if we look at the solutions that have been provided to SME, it's no longer just the financing solutions, the accounting solutions, right? It's the supplier financing solutions. It is the procurement solutions. So many other solutions that we are providing to SME. And these are, with the data is available, we can also land based on cash flow or based on projection rather than last time, you know, where everything's based on what security is given. Oh, it's, it is very exciting. I mean, technology clearly, as you say, is enabling a lot of this. But with technology also comes risk, right? Risks like cybercrime, etc. And as a bank, I guess, you know, how are you dealing with it? it? It must be something which gives you nightmares at times. Yeah. We look at our you know, risk committee meetings. The main issue today is about cyber. cyber. Well, are we prepared? The answer is no one really knows, right? Because you need to be, uh, you know, always on top of things. Uh, you, the investment cost is getting higher and higher. Uh, that's required. Uh, but to me, the future is that we need to collaborate. 
uh, as banks, right? Uh, because today, uh, you know, when one bank gets hit by something, it's always too late because let's say bank A gets hit by a cyber attack, you know, we as bank B and the other bank, bank C will be then, you know, usually we will only know after the announcement has been made. So today we need better collaboration where we can then be prepared, you know, so the sharing of information because it's natural that when someone gets hit, they keep quiet, right? Uh, but I think what's important is we share this information quickly. But more importantly is, I think, what some other countries have done is we pool the investments, right, on cybersecurity. Uh, the investments, are, I guess, it's very large. So if we can pull it together like, and duplicate the investments, it will definitely help. It's very important to get that confidence of the public that, you know, we are prepared for any uh, cyber attacks, right? No, it's terrific to hear that you're making these investments and it is such a regular part of your risk ability discussions. Speaking of risks, the other risk which I guess people are thinking about is we last had a crisis more than a decade ago, right? In 2008, right? And people, you know, every 10 years or so, there is a crisis. So do you worry about that? Do you see that coming? Yeah, we had Asian financial crisis in 97. 97. Yeah, and then we have the global financial crisis in 2008. Yeah, of course, you know, but the cycles are supposed to be shorter, right? Yeah. Uh, but now it's, there has been a slowdown uh, in the uh, economic growth globally, right? Of course, that's by our own doing, uh, not no, by what's happening in the West, right? Uh, and of course, China is also affected, and therefore, this region in Asia is also affecting that slowdown as trade is affected. Personally, I think there will be a slowdown, but not a recession, uh, not a meltdown. We will see a GDP growth of the region uh, in Asia moderating. Uh, but I think sometimes it's good to have that. Uh, we have been growing at double digit and most countries in the, in this region as well have been growing at high single digit, low double digit numbers. So having a, you know, five to six percent growth is still respectable. Uh, and I think it's probably more sustainable. But I don't foresee uh, any crisis uh, of what we've seen in 2008 and 97. People have hopefully learned uh, from that. Looking at the debt levels are much more manageable. Uh, at the same time, if we look at kind of uh, diversification the economies are in this region have done uh, is much more sustainable. Oh, it's, that, is, that is good to hear and we certainly hope that at least banks are better prepared. Right? Yes, than, than I think before. banks are better capitalized than uh, ever, ever before. The one thing on just speaking of, the, of Asia more broadly, I think CIMB has always positioned itself as the truly ASEAN bank and probably the only bank which has gone so prominently out there. If you think the three regions, big regions, China, India and ASEAN. What is, and, and ASEAN as a block, how do you see that playing out? You know, it's gone through its ups and downs, a lot of enthusiasm, sometimes speaking, sometimes dissipating. What is your view on the future of ASEAN? So I take a long-term view. ASEAN is too young. Uh, it's a young block. Uh, there are challenges. Right? We are not a EU, even EU have their challenges <laughs> with Brexit, right? Uh, and they've obviously gone through much more than we've gone through. Um, but it is a good start, right? Uh, we are seeing a lot of trade barriers gone down. In fact, 95% of the trade barriers have now come down. Uh, but again, you know, there are a lot of areas to improve, right? Mobility of people, regulatory, uh, you know, consolidations as of having a more consistent policy across the region. That will definitely stimulate growth in terms of the economic growth. And that will, of course, benefit uh, banks like us who have presence in all of these 10 markets in Southeast Asia. Uh, so, in short, I'm still very much positive uh, if you look at the demographics and the GDP growth of this region. And, you know, perhaps they're not as linked as we hope they, were, they are, right? But that's because ASEAN is a mixed pack of countries which is at different level of uh, development. 
right? Uh, compared to other blocks, which you know usually have the countries within the similar kind of stage of development. So we will see that converging over time. Thank you. Before I um, conclude, because I think you had a fascinating set of points, I want to conclude by asking you: How are you feeling about yourself leading such an institution? You know, you've been leading CIMB for the last several years. It almost seems like a next new chapter in an environment which is obviously complex, yeah. right? But how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling excited, uh, to be honest. Um, we just finished our first transformation plan, the first phase of our transformation plan. Now we're going through our second phase of transformation plan. And that second phase is much more challenging than the first phase because of the change in what's happening around banks and within banks as well, right? So for me, I'm excited. Uh, it's a challenge. I always welcome new challenges. But at the same time, you know, I am uh, mindful uh, that change is never easy, right? Um, so for me, the key to success from my experience of our last transformation is people, right? So we need to make sure that everyone is on board to make those changes. It's never easy. And we've seen so many industries, especially tele telecommunication industries, the media industries, uh, companies who do not survive because they didn't cope with the change. Well, thank you very much. All the very best facing these challenges. And I'm sure with your leadership and the efforts you're putting in, it will be terrific to see CIMB ahead of the pack. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. You have been listening to the Future of Asia podcast by McKinsey & Company. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com slash futureofasia or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Mm -hmm.